hi everyone, this is the Time Extend Podcast, where we'll be talking about uh, everything in racing and racing games. Uh, my name's Adam. And uh, you're joined, of course, by Brendan, and we'll both be talking through the latest news in the racing genre, and also we're going to be discussing a featured topic today as well. Yeah, so uh, we'll get right into it for our first podcast. Uh, to kick things off, it's actually been a, a great week uh, for us to start out, Brendan, because one of mine, I know one of your favorite games ever, uh, seems to be perilously close to finally, at long last, uh, getting a remaster, and that, of course, would be Burnout Paradise. Uh, first, we found out about it because a Brazilian blog, uh, they found an entry in a supplier database, and at first it was like, I think I think a lot of us were excited, but also like, is this just wishful thinking? You know, how could this actually finally be the time that it's happening? Uh, and then it seemed that was backed up by a, a report from a Japanese Twitter account that actually posted a release date and price. And now I think I've seen another website posted similar information. So I, I guess this is actually happening, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was the exact same as you, Adam, when I seen it was a Brazilian blog that posted it at first because there's been various reports of supposed remasters that have come out from those type of sources that turn out to be either debunked or just never referred to again. So when the Japanese Twitter account then picked it up with an official release date, especially in the first kind of quarter of this year, I was I was intrigued to say the least. And then uh, reliable outlet Gamma Sutra posted a report on that tweet. And yeah, it looks like EA and a criterion if they're involved in the port over are actually giving us what we've wanted for a long time. And I need to say, it's surprising news because Criterion seem to have been really busy with helping on the Star Wars Battlefront series. So I'm very surprised that we're getting another racing game from them, even if it is just a port. Yeah, and it's a long time coming too, not just for Burnout, but Criterion. I mean, you know, Criterion's been so removed from that franchise for literally a decade. Uh, Brown Paradise came out in 2008, right? Or right, right on the cusp of 2009, and uh, you know, since then they've worked on Need for Speed twice, and you know, it's. I don't think. I mean, at least for me personally, those games really. I was really excited to see Criterion work on Need for Speed, but it wasn't. It wasn't the marriage that I uh, that I had hoped for, and I think a lot of people would say the same. And it's it's great to see things coming back to to Burnout. Although I do wonder. Uh, you know, what took them so long, what took EA so long, and what can we expect from this remaster outside of just, you know, just a, a port in 1080p of the last Burnout game, because we, it hasn't been that long, you know, it was only last generation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to go with your first point about what what has made this remaster happen, I really do think that it could be a case of uh, EA were really trying to get Criterion on board with the Need for Speed series with those two first titles you just discussed there. And I'm the exact same, and like you said, I think a lot of people are in the sense that those games didn't really hit the mark. I think Most Wanted was an ironic one because it felt like a less fun Burnout Paradise. (laughs) And that kind of sums it up. I think a lot of people wanted Burnout to return, um, but they were helping with the Need for Speed series at the time. And yeah, I, I really want to know what this remaster will entail, but the pessimist inside me thinks that we're really just going to get the base game and they're going to charge for the DLC again, even if it comes out. And we might not even get the same soundtrack. Yeah, I, I just feel like I'm not seeing enough goodwill from EA to suggest that we're going to get the ultimate pack. 
because even when the kind of um, the full version of Burnout Paradise, the Ultimate Box, I think it was called, came out, there was still some DLC missing at that point that had been released. So I've not seen anything from Burnout Paradise specifically that suggests this will be the Ultimate Edition. And just in general, I mean, it's EA we're talking about, and they, they do like the money they make from those DLCs. And especially if this is going to be a cut price remaster, then I, I don't know. I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't see it, Adam. I feel like after everything we've been through, that would be kind of evil, uh, to be honest. But, you know, that is uh, that is the EA way, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, you brought up the soundtrack, which I think is an interesting point, because um, the soundtrack is is so memorable for Burnout Paradise. It's so incredibly diverse, and uh, it has a couple of my favorite songs on there. Uh, it's got uh, Epic by Faith No More, and it's got this band called Swerve Driver, which I only recently discovered, but they were a big part of the Road Rash soundtrack, too. So um, I go back, and, and Rusty Cage from Soundgarden was also on the Road Rash soundtrack. So I go back and play that game, and it's almost like taking a trip uh, through time. And I don't know. It's just It was just such a perfect game and such a perfect moment for everyone. And yeah, even even though the cynic in me wants to complain, if all they do is just essentially give us the version that they give uh, Xbox One players when they put in their old uh, 360 disc, uh, even if they do that, you know, I I'll, I'll take it. I'll play Brown Paradise as many times as they want me to, and I'll pay whatever they want because it's such a damn good game. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it would be silly to complain about it after waiting so long for the remaster to come out. Um, I have played the backwards compatible version on Xbox One and it felt great playing the game again but I think for a lot of people they're going to realise that we have seen some advancements in the open world racing genre since Burnout Paradise but I still feel like that is the, in my opinion, one of the best ever and in regards to the soundtrack it'll be interesting to see how EA approach it because if the licensing becomes a problem I don't think they'll be absolutely desperate to fix it so... We might end up with some songs that were in the original, but then losing out on others. But I think I speak for everyone when I say I hope Avril Lavigne remains in the soundtrack. Yeah, so I was, uh, in preparation for this, I was looking through the soundtrack for the original game, and I completely forgot that Girlfriend was, was on that soundtrack. And I thought it was hilarious. I was talking to my friend about it because, you know, by, by 2008, Girlfriend had probably been around for, what, like three at least two or three years and i mean i i remember being going to like my middle school graduation or whatever and and there was that song at the party or something so like it it's a real blast uh blast from the past for me and then i just had thoughts of playing the game for the first time like oh my god it has a girlfriend all right in between like you know the rock and the, the grunge I just described and like Mozart because it had all that classical music too. I totally forgot about those classical songs actually but they um, they played when you didn't you didn't start the car's engine didn't it? If you left it sitting for a while it would show you kind of nice scenic views of Paradise City with those types of songs playing so that was pretty cool. Yeah Criterion definitely had a, a sense of humour about them for sure with that uh, but who knows I mean maybe Maybe this is in a in a way EA testing the waters for potentially returning the burnout. I think at this point, I guess Need for Speed still sells pretty well as as the recent reports would show us. But I can't imagine it doing as well as um, 
you know EA would like, and maybe they're willing to to take a chance on a new burnout game, and this is kind of them testing the waters for that. Yeah, I would like to believe that's the case because I'm not really sure what it's going to take at this point to get Need for Speed where it once was, both in terms of sales and critical appeal. It just seems that the series is in a little bit of a rut and maybe a burnout cleanser, whether it's just this remaster, a remaster leading to another entry. I think a lot of people would be on board with that. Even if they went back to the linear style from like Burnout 3 and Burnout Revenge, I don't think that people would turn their nose up at it. The open world Burnout Paradise was great, but there, there's still a lot of people who will be crying for an original Burnout type game as well. As we've seen, there's already people asking, oh, why are we not getting Burnout Revenge remastered or anything like that? But I think as gamers, we need to remember that these things take time and if we respond well to this possible Burnout Paradise remaster, then who knows what EA will do with the, the license. Also, you know we're getting Burnout Paradise because it was the last gen one that they could essentially just, you know, port. And, and change almost nothing to get on these systems, you know? My favorite Burnout game is Burnout 3, and I, I've always been, like, one of those elitists where, like, everyone talks about Burnout Paradise, and I'm like, eh, that's good, but, you know, Burnout 3, and then, you know, I shut up and stop ruining everyone's fun. But, yeah, I mean, for me, the holy grail is Burnout 3. It's definitely in my top top 10 racing games ever, because um, cause, cause the rebirth of that franchise started with that game. Uh, and, and, you know, who knows, we might see it. And there's also, I should add, there's there's no reason why, I guess Criterion's probably a lot smaller than they once were, but couldn't Ghost continue to do their thing and make a Need for Speed game, and Criterion, if they could put a team together again, make a new Burnout, and everyone could be happy, and I, I just always have the feeling, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not discrediting the work that Criterion probably does on Battlefront, but, like... Surely EA has five other teams that can do what they're doing. There's nothing there that's like, you know, where they need Criterion to, like, really you know, capitalize on that on that opportunity in the game, right? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's great to see Criterion working with a big license, but in terms of fans of the actual games they've created, it hasn't done anything for us. I don't want to mean... So, I don't, sorry, I don't mean to be selfish. I just mean in the sense that this is a very talented team, and when, even when they announced that um, very high concept at the time arcade racer from a few years back, they were supposed to have like yeah. helicopters and quads and all that stuff. At the time, I remember being, I feel bad saying this now, I was like, I don't know if this is what I want, but that never came to fruition anyway. So, I mean, give the guys a chance to make another game, and even if it's not directly Burnout, I feel like this could be the, the kind of the propeller to get Criterion back on that side of things and making their own games because to bring it back to what you're saying about Burnout 3 compared to Paradise, like I see Paradise as like the, the perfect playground for open world racers, a total sandbox experience. But I think Burnout 3 is one of the perfect arcade racers. So who knows, maybe there's a middle ground to be found there. And if Criterion get back in the saddle, then maybe they're possible to bring it to the, the new generation of consoles. Yeah, I should add real quick before we move on that uh, part of the reason I think the Burnout 3 sticks in my mind more than uh, Paradise, even though I had a lot of fun with Paradise, is because uh, my where I lived, uh, my parents' house when I was a kid, uh, you know, from when Burnout 3 came out, but also I, I lived in the same place when Paradise was out too, the internet was terrible for a very long time. We actually didn't get true broadband until... Probably a year after Burnout Paradise oh, came wow. out. So we, we had broadband, but it was like one way. It was like download. So 
you know, basically seeing what playing multiplayer with other people, seeing what they would do was fine, but the upload speeds were still almost like dial-up level. So like my reactions and my movements and my driving would would never quite reach the servers, and that caused a lot of problems. Uh, and, and I'm sure if I had a better internet connection, I probably would have had more you know more fun and really seen everything Burnout Paradise had to offer. But I actually never explored the online functionality much. And I still love the game, so I mean that goes to show. Uh, it would actually be a pretty cool thing to finally get to play this game the way it, it was meant to be played when they do this remaster. Oh, definitely. So yeah, I mean we could talk forever about Burnout, but we should probably move on. Because uh, there's another big arcade racer in the news, sort of. Uh, and that's Forza, Forza Horizon 4, which... Has not been officially announced, but we thought it was, uh, or not officially announced, but we thought it was. It was at least leaked. Uh, basically, there was a, a box art found in uh, Aaron Greenberg. He's a Xbox uh, head of marketing in his Twitter account, uh, and it was just a collection of like I guess all the games that are coming out for Xbox One or have come out or something. And it was just a Twitter profile header, but there was. In this uh, collage, there was a Forza Horizon 4 box, and it showed a 997 generation uh, Porsche 911 in the middle of what looked like Tokyo with Japanese text. Uh, And it looked... I mean, I actually... I did not know about this until I saw uh, your story uh, that you wrote on GT... Did you write that? Oh, is that Kyle that wrote that one? Oh, it's Kyle. Uh, Yeah, so so, uh, I saw the story on GT Planet, and... And then I, I saw this boxer for the first time, and I was like, oh, wow. Um, I, it did look a little fake, but, I mean, there's no way to tell until you get the confirmation. And then eventually we did. Um, that it just came from a Facebook group that li- that is specializes. This is what they do. They just post fake stuff. Just just for the lulls, I guess. I <laughs> but, but they got they got Aaron Greenberg, or, or at least they got us. Uh, but, you know, then I started to think about, like, isn't that the the next logical location for Forza Horizon? You know, they're they're not. We don't know they're in Japan now, but I I would not be surprised. It's such a perfect location, like you say. When you look at where we've been so far in the Horizon series, we're just waiting for a neon jungle like Tokyo, for example, to really host a Horizon festival and get right into it because it it's the perfect location for the exciting racing as well. They've got so many opportunities now to, to run with the drifting stuff. You could have drift races, a great car list. And, I mean, maybe I'm looking into it too much, but the fact that Greenberg would put this in his Twitter header, regardless of the fact if they are real or not, it's got to be a hint, you would think. This seems like the kind of um, Gruella marketing that companies are using these days. Somebody noticed it, and then it was immediately disproven to be fake. But is the concept fake? That's what we've got to look at. The imagery that's used in his Twitter header might not be real, but I don't know. I think this is kind of um, soft confirmation, we'll say, that Horizon 4 might be set in Japan. Yeah, I'm looking at the at the header itself again, and I'm also seeing box art for games that have released. There's Fable, there's Cuphead, there's Forza 7, there's Titanfall 2 or Titanfall, I guess, um, and Killer Instinct. So actually, a lot of these games go back very far. So... I guess who knows, right? And there, there's also, uh, you know, the the news that Playground is working on something that isn't a racing game. So I don't know how that affects their planning and their scheduling. Creatively named project too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, non non racing game project. 
Uh, I guess it's an open world RPG from what I'm reading. So, which you know, I, I have to imagine that they they feel like they want to work on something else. No, nobody can work on the same thing forever, especially like no no offense to uh, Playground Forza Horizon's great, but it's you know it has kind of the same the same problem as the core Forza Motorsport series in my opinion, where it's just like it's almost the same thing because they have such a, a lockdown schedule of every other year. It's almost the same thing in a different location pretty much every year. They end up feeling pretty samey. Yeah, I mean, like you said, that's a problem that bugs the, the motorsport series as well because it's these um, frequent release schedules that it's a positive in many lights and then it can also be a negative in the sense that there's that familiarity and, I mean, the Horizon series seems to be a bit more dynamic in terms of how people feel about its familiarity because we see this year, for example, or sorry, in 2017, that Horizon 3 outsold Forza Motorsport 7 in the UK. So it's clear that even though it is familiar to a lot of Xbox players, there's still enough because of the open world element. So I guess that Playground Games must be looking for a new opportunity because you can't make as many hits as they've had as well and not be called up to try something else. The Horizon series has been great for Xbox as a brand. So it's not surprising that Microsoft might be looking at their own Horizon Zero's Dawn type game, because I've got a feeling that's what they're going to go for. So it'll be interesting to see Playground Games really do something different if that's the case. Yeah, and, and as we know, there's a lot of ex-racing game dev alumni there, so this this is probably a dream project for a lot of them to just get to work on something that's a little bit out of the ordinary. Oh, definitely. It's a great opportunity for that team, but hopefully Horizon 4, whatever form it may take, doesn't struggle as a result. Maybe it's a racing RPG. That'd be great. Like, basically, something something vaguely on the level of Test Drive, but unlimited, but more RPG-like. <laughs> <laughs> Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift, our RPG. It writes itself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, so Forza Horizon 4 in Japan and and then not. But anyway, um, so the last thing uh, that I wanted to bring up for news was the Car 18. Uh, so there is a new The Car game. Uh, would you believe it? I I don't know when the last one was. I should have looked that up, but I didn't. <laughs> I want to say 2002, around that time period. Oh, wow, so it really has been that long. We were talking before the show about uh, previous ones, and uh, we didn't talk about any specifics, but I... I was like, I think I played one on the PS2, and I stopped myself for a second and realized, no, actually, that wasn't a Dakar game. That was a game called GTC Africa, which I guess was a Dakar game in every sense but the license. I remember <laughs> nothing about it, but just that it was very boring. And, um, yeah, so that wasn't a Dakar game. But this is. Uh, it was. A, it is going to be developed by Big Moon Studios. I did some research on it and found out that they have produced art for a lot of milestone racing games. If you go on their website, uh, they have a list of the projects they've worked on, and WRC comes up a lot, MOGP comes up a lot, and uh, but what you find is that they've, I guess they've done pre-rendered cinematics and stuff that were used in these games and, and for these games. They haven't actually made one. Uh, they've they've made other titles. They're semi-experienced, but not, never a racing game before, so this will be a big moment for them. Uh, and then, as far as details about the game. Don't know a ton yet, outside of there will be 5,800 square miles of, of open-world, off-road environment for you to go uh, uh, roam around in. And, you know, it's licensed by the Dakar Rally, as well as all of the manufacturers. And you can get out of your vehicle and fix it, which, that's cool. As, as long as it's not like when you could get off your board and, like, Tony Hawk. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, so you're saying we won't be able to jack other cars and spray paint walls and that type of thing? Yeah, qu- quick aside, um, because we are a racing game podcast, but we contain multitudes. Uh, I had always, I had never gotten a chance to play Tony Hawk 4 uh, until like last year or two years ago or something like that. I played every other game but that one. And I always wanted to play that one because it was the first one where you, I think you could get off your board. And I did it. And it's the worst experience ever because like the first level in that game, you're the zoo. And there are all these like, you know, as a kid, like you hear, oh, you can get off your board. You think it sounds great. But when you're at that zoo, like your objective is to like basically, you know, because you have all your objectives in the single player Tony Hawk. Um, your objective is to just get off your board, just fuck with everything. So like I, um, you know, had to like throw like some monkey poo at somebody else. Like it was really weird. It's very strange. It wasn't worth it. So anytime now that I hear you can get out of the thing that you're meant to do in that game, I get a little bit skeptical. <laughs> Just in case you've got to throw, throw some poo at people and throw stuff. Throw some yeah. poo, yeah. <laughs> yeah <so. sighs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah, to, to bring it back to the, the racing game stuff, um, I will be honest, the cinematic trailer is fantastic, but now I'm a bit soured by the fact you've pointed out this is a company who have a lot of experience in this field, because when I seen the trailer, I was like, wow, this looks really professional, and I was hopeful, but now I'm worried that it's just because they're so good at the pre-rendered cinematics that it isn't actually representative of the game, but I mean, I, I did. I found, I found the trailer really good. I, I think they nailed the good feel of the Dakar Rally in general. And it's exciting to look at all the different car classes and stuff they have. And for a lot of people, the reference to how big the open world environment is, 5,800 square miles, that'll excite a lot of people. But I'm always soured when I think of um, Fuel, I believe it was called, on the PlayStation 3. And I remember how that game really sold itself and how big the environment was, despite the fact that it was really boring. So I hope that Dakar doesn't fall into that uh, pitfall. Yeah, I never played Fuel, but... Uh, I I did see had a pretty big open world and it's rare that you play a game where you feel like every single mile is you know I guess I guess you could say worth it uh, the bigger the world gets it's like you can't possibly create as many areas of interest um, unless you're Nintendo and you made Breath of the Wild but that's not a racing game so <laughs> uh, yeah I mean I it's a, actually uh, bring it back to a reference I made earlier with Test Drive Unlimited. You know, that's the only game I could say that had for its time anyway, like and and still in general a pretty big world, uh, because they modeled the entire island of Oahu. It, it felt authentic, but also it felt big, and you know it it kind of managed to uh, feel big without feeling wasteful. And I don't really know how you do that in a game called The Car Eighteen, where you know, you're going to have a lot of desert to drive across <laughs> it. I don't really know how you make that interesting. And and it brings up something else real quick in my head, which is over the last 15 years, I'd say we've witnessed a transformation at, at least. I, I don't know how it is uh, over where you are, Brendan, but at least in America, we've witnessed transformation of rally from uh, that kind of like niche thing. That's for some reason, even though it's tremendously exciting, a little bit boring to everybody except yeah. people who are really into it it used to be that and then obviously as we all know in the mid 2000s it became this extreme sports thing and then we got Ken Block and Travis Pastrana and so like I remember like playing that GTC Africa game which was a lot like the you know, the car thing uh, it was just very very boring <laughs> Tre- tremendously boring could not 
could not have been more, you know, it's just all about like the grueling nature of just doing the same thing for a million miles. And it, and it, it was, uh, but now, you know, you watch the trailer for this new game and it's just got people rocketing off of cliffs and ATVs and button, you know, mountain bike or their, uh, motocross bikes or whatever. And, and huge, those huge, uh, uh, the car trucks, you know, it's completely a different vibe. It is the extreme sports thing realized. Uh, so it'll be for sure. It'll be different than any other, the car game we've ever seen before. I did uh, nearly roll my eyes at the start of the trailer when it's that like epic monologue about how difficult the Dakar is, and I actually had um, visions back to Steep. I don't know if you ever played that, but uh, I used yes. to. Yes, I did. Yeah, and the mountain stories in that game where basically it took you out of the extreme sports element and just told you a story about the mountain, and that's the kind of vibe I got from that Dakar trailer. So I wonder if they're going to have something similar, or it was just for um, good effect that it was used in this trailer. It's actually hilarious. I was watching the trailer in bed for the first time last night, uh, so I'd be able to talk about this. And my girlfriend was in bed next to me, and she was kind of dozing off or something. And I was like, I'm going to put the sound on mute, because I'm pretty sure I could get the entire gist of everything I need without any sound. Uh, But when you do see those, like, rolling, you know, savannas or whatever in the beginning, and I'm I'm looking and I'm like, yeah, they're, they're probably talking right now, but I can't hear it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so it was a an epic monologue about how beautiful the Dakar is and that type of thing so um, it seems like it's like a necessary part when you make an extreme game now that there needs to be that um, touching element that makes you think about what you're doing when in reality you really do just want to roll off those savannas and try and roll one of those huge trucks surely I'm not the only one who's thinking watching that trailer that that's what I want to try and do in the full game <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think it's great that you mentioned Steep because I played that game. I, I love uh, snowboarding games, and there aren't any of them anymore. And I was so excited to play Steep, and I I hated it. I couldn't stand it. And honestly, I, c- I could deal with all the, the mountain stories and everything, but just like everything else about that game was so janky and buggy, at least in my experience, that it was a real missed opportunity, so... Oh, much like any Ubisoft game, you've got to give it about a year gratis before you can <laughs> get stuck into it. So I was much like you. I played the beta and went, nope, not at all. And then I picked it up for like half price a year later and did have some fun with it. So, I mean, I hope that doesn't affect the crew too. Just to loosely tie this Ooh, into racing yeah. games, hopefully that um, hits the ground running when it releases this year. Yeah, well, the crew definitely, I, I feel like after that big update it had uh, towards the middle of its life, it, it gained new legs. I don't think like that ever happened for uh, for Steep, but yeah, I mean, I guess I was too soon to judge that game. You really do have to give, a, give it about a year. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so uh, that is the news for this week, and we can move on to our feature topic. So basically, every week we're going to talk about something different that is, you know, maybe tied to the news. In this case, it isn't really, unless you consider the car a full-on rally game, which I don't, uh, because our our title or our uh, feature topic for the week is our favorite rally games ever. Um, and and I guess you know, looking at my list, I can definitely say one of them or two of them is my favorite. There's another one thrown in there. I'm just trying to give uh, credit where credits due. 
Uh, we're actually, Brenda. I know you're going to talk about some that are pretty, uh, pretty off the wall. So maybe this is just a, a list of the most unique or the or the rally games that really were important to us. You know. Yeah, I'd say that's fair enough. But also, th- there's so many good rally games that are off the wall, and some people might have not played them. And I mean, we're we're obsessed with arcade racers, so who better to talk about it than? guys that could go on about this forever this podcast could be another five hours long if we really wanted it to but we'll, we'll try and sum up why we think these titles might be worth your time if you're looking for a new unique rally title to play yeah so you know all of that is is absolutely true um and i'm going to pick the least unique choice in the world right now and discredit everything you just said by saying sega rally uh, the original <laughs> i've um, never heard of it yeah exactly no, no, no. i just found out about it um no but you know i can't honestly i can't have any discussion about rally games uh without bringing up one of my favorite games of all time and that is of course the original sega rally uh developed by sega uh AM5 and then AM3 worked on the Saturn port uh, on the Model 2 hardware in the arcades came out in October of 94 is its you know loose release date as arcade games used to have back then uh, and then about a year later made it to, uh, to Saturn in 95 um, and you know we have our notes for every podcast and I, I wrote down notable for being absolutely perfect because that's the way I feel about this game <laughs> Um, no, but it is one of those things you, you go back and you read about everyone's experience with Sega Rally. I actually remember reading a one of the few issues of, of the Top Gear magazine that I've bought uh, because it's really hard to get that over in the States um, and very expensive too. It, I just didn't even know it was in here, but I got this magazine. I opened it up and it's got a column from Jeremy Clarkson about like how... Some something loosely, very loosely related to like drunk drivers that had almost nothing to do with that. But it starts out with him talking about Sega Rally and how oh, he has wow. a Sega Rally cabinet in his in his uh, house, or at least did about ten years ago at the time. And how his I guess his times when he was drunk are close to the times when he wasn't drunk. Um, so that's that's my aside on. So, so yes, even Jeremy Clarkson likes Sega Rally. <laughs> that's pretty but, crazy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you think about it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And then he's, he talks about, like, oh, you can drive a Celica or a Lancia Delta. And yeah, um, you know, it's it has only got those two cars, uh, but they are very different, and you have a very different experience playing through a game with both of them. And it's just, you know, in, in the modern context, of course, it's an old arcade racer. Uh, in terms of content, it's very simplistic, but you get three amazingly designed tracks, you get two very unique cars, and if you love racing and racing games from the 90s, you know, what could be better than those two cars? Uh, they kind of made them legendary, and they would show up in every rally game after the fact. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's almost like, what what can't you say about Sega Rally? It really was the genesis for the, for the genre, you know, as a whole. Was that a pun because it's a Sega game? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. A, well, I mean, I didn't say Mega Drive for the for the genre, so I guess. Oh it yeah, wasn't. true, true. <laughs> but I mean, the two cars are the only cars you ever need in a rally game, in my opinion. <laughs> Just from that generation, like whenever a new rally game comes out, I always check the roster to see if the Toyota and Lancia are there. And um, you're right. I think Sega Rally Championship was so revolutionary at the time that it still lives very close to the hearts of every racing game fan. The soundtrack was phenomenal. The track design was good enough that you didn't mind how limited it was. And I think that's why I love Sega Rally. It just 
it just nailed what you want from an arcade racing game more than anything else. Yeah, and and as a lot of people who will go back and you know play all these games, as they know, like Sega's hardware at the time was incredibly important to to why Sega Rally games like Sega Rally and games like Daytona and so on were so revolutionary. It's because they were doing things with 3D and nobody else was doing at the time, and you know it was so far beyond in terms of like detailed vehicle models and and of course the handling i mean you you really can't talk about sega rally without the handling it's just like it's this timeless model where like i i haven't found a single game Uh, maybe i'll go back and play some of the really early gran turismos and and they might not look so great but they'll play really well but it's it's really hard to find the game that still just you you have this telepathic a connection with the car when you're when you're driving especially an old arcade racer because a lot of these old arcade racers i feel like our memories kind of uh they kind of fill in the blanks like i'll go back and play one of the early ridge racer titles and those games actually i mean in my opinion they really didn't handle well um but but sega rally on the other hand is yeah it's just it's so simple but it works so well it nails that easy to learn hard to master i mean there's no you can get sideways, obviously. I mean, that's part of the fun of the rally game. But, like, there's no weird drifting mechanic in Sega Rally. You know, even, like, if you're a beginner playing Daytona, you probably won't understand how drifting works from the very beginning. At least I didn't. Sega Rally is just a lot more dynamic and a lot more fluid. You don't have to, you know, there, you don't have to fulfill all these requirements to begin a drift like you do in Sega Rally or Daytona. It's just effortless. It's just the handling's just there. And when you get sideways, you can carry that and... And it's easy, but then if you watch someone who really knows what they're doing play the game, it's it's like magic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that point about the drifting is actually on the nose, in my opinion, because like as someone who really enjoys Daytona as well, I still don't have a full grasp on the drifting mechanics because it's so standalone from the regular driving. But Sega Rally just feels right. As soon as you take the first corner, you know exactly what to expect from the handling engine. And yep, it it's great, and I agree with you. It's literally perfect in every way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's something that we'll we'll have to touch on going forward in a lot of these discussions. I only realized is what you're saying. You know, the standalone drifting mechanic from the rest of the handling. I mean, a lot of games had that at this time. Ridge Racer, I think, being the most notorious of them all. Where, you know, you're it's a very fast game the steering is very direct and then you try and pull into a drift and ridge racer at least in the original ridge racer and, and revolution ridge racer 2 and all of a sudden you have lost about 40 miles per hour <laughs> in velocity and speed and you are now sideways and you are just pivoted like swaying back and forth like th- the car becomes extremely heavy you have no control over it and you have no idea when it's going to come out of that drift i mean that is extremely frustrating in ridge racer uh, and it's not something you ever encounter in Sega Rally. You know, it's just like, it's it's much more modern, and you could say ahead of its time, like a current sim racer even, in that, you know, when you lose grip, it's all on that same plane. It's all on that yeah. same spectrum of grip. You know, you're not transported to this other place because you decide to start drifting. You know, it's, it is still the same car reacting in the same way. And... Yeah, I gotta hand it to Sega. I listened to uh, real quick. I listened to a podcast a while back. One of my favorite podcasts is Retronauts. Uh, it's this classic gaming podcast, and they spoke to uh, Jeremy Parrish, the the guy who runs it. Spoke to um, Tetsuya Mizuguchi, 
who was the uh, the develop the main you know developer on Sega Rally uh, and worked on racing games like Sega Rally before he started his own company and left Sega and, and really just started and well I mean before he res- uh, left Sega he, he made Res but started making a lot of music games and um, he hasn't made any racing games since then but he does kind of credit Sega Rally with being one of the first to really court the manufacturers um, and also uh, he's really proud of just as a rally game you know be giving you giving the player a chance to drive on all these different surface types and also uh you know being able to replicate the differences in handling on all different surface types those two things he points out are like some of Rally's greatest contributions to the genre and i completely agree with him yeah that's totally agree as well it's interesting to see that like they were one of the first to actually approach manufacturers and say hey can we put these cars in the game and i wonder how difficult it was at the time because they were heavily associated with the WRC as well. If they would have to contact the guys over there to get full confirmation of using the cars, I'm not exactly sure how that system would have worked at the time period because the the Toyota and the Lancia didn't actually compete in the same years, didn't they not? I'm pretty sure the, um, the Lancia's older. Yeah, I think the Lancia's a year or two older. When you play Sega Rally, it does come out there right away and say, if you leave it on the attract screen, you know, these uh, two manufacturers as a logo of both, and it says these two manufacturers participated in WRC. Um, as we know, licenses back then were a lot less final and, and you know, legal and enforceable than they are now. <laughs> uh, so that would change very quickly in the space of about five or six years, but... Yeah, you know, it is it is a, a watershed moment for the genre, for sure, uh, in so many ways. And um, going from a game like Daytona USA, which did not use the Daytona license in any way whatsoever, um, <laughs> you know, Sega Rally definitely got, got their money's worth, so... Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, my one of my favorite racing games of all time, probably in my top three... Uh, but I, it had to be mentioned, you know. I, I couldn't talk about rally games without it. If, if you didn't mention it, I would have. So, <laughs> all's well, all's well that ends well. <laughs> exactly. Well, we we'll come back to this well, I think. Uh, anyway, later on in the podcast. But uh, yeah, you can take it from here. Right. Uh, so the first game I'll talk about then is a little title called Shocks Rally Reinvented. Now. We talked about how Sega Rally was literally perfect in every way. And Shox is like the complete opposite. It's like, it's loads of imperfections. Oh, it should be on the list. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's basically like, it's just loads of imper- imperfect uh, systems that come together in this huge mess of a really fun rally game. And um, it wouldn't be surprising then if I said the actual developers of this game were uh, EA Sports Big, who most people will know for their efforts in the SSX series and yeah there's just there's something about shocks where it forks the core fundamentals of rally and decided that these aren't important at all but let's still go with the concept <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, they framed the whole game around these ideas of shocks zones which were basically small sections of the track that were like time trials so you'd go into a shock zone a big huge intrusive uh, timer would appear on the screen and you had to make it to the end of the zone in enough time to either get gold, silver, or bronze. And it was a really cool idea at the time because I like the idea of a race being broken into other small races. And we've seen the idea sort of revived with like the Autolog and um, Need for Speed and stuff where you get those little trials 
Yeah, although I have to say, I can't stand it when, when I do the Need for Speed. It's like, I'm doing anything else. I just want to concentrate on that thing and not, <laughs> not do this. But, Shocks is not the game for you. <laughs> yeah, well, well, the thing about Shocks, it sounds like, you know, it's closed circuit. You know, usually when it happens in Need for Speed, it's like, I'm trying, or, or Forza for that uh, matter, I'm trying to get from one place to another. That's my focus. But in Shocks, you're already racing. You know, you're, you're in the race. So it seems yeah. interesting, and it seems novel for the time. It was it was very novel because I would like to know how it actually came about because I also read the other day that it's actually built off the F one two thousand and two engine, which makes me wonder like did they have that engine created and they were like hmm, I wonder how a rally game would look on this and then they handed it to one of their more outlandish studios and this is what they came back with and EA didn't want to tell them it wasn't what they were looking for at all so they were just like yep yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. Um, but I've seen it described as a cross between like Ridge Racer and Sega Rally, funnily enough, in terms of the handling engine. And um, the good thing about Shox is that the handling engine uh, hit the sweet spot between being uh, really, really in-depth, but also simple. So it's not as if when you had all this stuff happening on the screen and you're crashing against other cars and stuff, that the physics engine would let you down. It was very passive, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. And it's really hard to explain what makes it so good because when I talk about it, it just sounds like, like I said at the start, a bit of a mess. But um, <laughs> it's just so unique. I've never seen anything like Shocks, And if you look up gameplay footage on YouTube, it'll just strike you how over the top everything is. And if you grew up in that generation of EA Sports big games like FIFA Street and SSX, it makes sense like uh, they would try and make a racing game like that. It's just a bit of a surprise to me they went for Rally because, like you said, up until that time period, it had been viewed as a kind of a, a boring motorsport because it isn't direct competition and it didn't have that extreme angle at the time. So in some ways you could say uh, Shox was a bit of a visionary for what they'd try and make Rally into in the next five years. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, for as much as we kind of you know, dump on big companies like EA and Activision. I mean, I did earlier with the whole Burnout Paradise thing. You have to give them credit for the stuff that they came out with at this time because they found a way to make sports games fun to people who don't really like sports games. And, I mean, I can't stand basketball, and I loved NBA Street as a kid. I, I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and, and another game that uh, you uh, brought to my mind, another racing game that really broke the formula at the time, I mean, this was a couple years earlier, uh, was Beale Adventure Racing. You know, I, I feel like EA didn't so much take, you know, they didn't take maybe many chances with their licensed products and their story-driven single-player campaign type games and whatnot, but when it came to the sports games, they did think outside the box, and they were almost all good. You know, I, I can't think of a single a single one that, you know, I really had a terrible time with. Um, you know, and, and Shocks did seemingly bring something new to the table i really wish i had the chance to play it i, I remember seeing him when i was a kid and kind of discounting it for the whole ea big thing but i'm not really sure why i did because i loved ssx and i loved the uh, nba street and this seems like a continuation of that but you know in the racing game in the rally game which is something i i would have enjoyed more than more than anything else so yeah, I mean, the ironic part is that the, the actual rally racing isn't the star of the show here. The track design is well varied, but it's that shock zone system I was discussing earlier that really makes it stand out, because if you get really good at the game and you can get gold times in every shock zone, it'll start another pun, of course, a shocks wave mode, 
which is basically um, for one full lap, there's like a, a distorted force chasing your car, and you've got to stay ahead of it. Otherwise, uh, you lose and you you don't actually get the bonuses that the game would offer for completing the shocks. Oh, so wow. um, it was really cool at the time because the closer that the shocks wave got to your car, the more distorted your screen would appear. Like the HUD would start to act a bit, act a bit strange and it would be harder to drive at full speed. So it was almost like a full time trial within the race, but in a way that only EA Sports Big could come up with. Just totally mental. But um, You know, these are ideas we don't get anymore. That's why I really... I you know I really miss stuff like this and um, I haven't ever seen shocks like in a in like one of my local game stores or places that sell <laughs> retro games. But I you know, next time I come across it, I'm gonna pick it up just for you, Brendan. Ah, oh, thank you, Adam. <laughs> and, and and that's not just to say it, it sounds good or it doesn't sound good, and you're just talking about it. But no, it does sound interesting. And plus, it had that uh, nine five nine on the cover, right? So they, that's oh, EA yeah. using their Porsche license as they. As they were wont to do at the time. I believe it was 959 and the KN in terms of Porsche representation that was there. So it was a pretty varied car list as well. 24 cars, but none of them should really have been driving against each other. <laughs> but I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be picky about a game that tries to kill you with a distorted force while you're trying to race. <laughs> right, and I think I always got that confused at the time with. Um... Rally Fusion, which I don't ah, think yeah. was at all the same game, but for whatever reason, they came out around the same time, I think, and they were just very... Because uh, I remember Rally Fusion was also pretty... I mean, not nearly as arcadey as terms of, like, weird, you know, crazy game mechanics, but was also one of, a more arcade-style rally cross racer, I guess you would say. Yeah, I think as well, at the time, it may have been missed by a lot of people, because the PlayStation 2 was pretty much the the epitome of um, trash games. <laughs> there was just so much uh, shovelware coming out on the console once it like, really hit peak popularity. And I mean, looking at the cover of Shocks, it might actually look very similar to some of the other racers that were out at the time that weren't that good. And there was, there was quite a lot of them. So although we look back now and say, oh, that's a colourful and very cool cover, I think at the time everyone was so sick of seeing that type of thing that it probably just got brushed to the side when people were looking for new games to buy. Yeah, there there used to be a lot of racing games. Like, a lot more racing games than there are now. And it's... I, I recently worked on an article for GT Planet about Porsche Challenge, and I was going through, like, an old IGN uh, a preview they wrote about the game. And it starts out just saying, like, there are a lot of racing games today, and it's kind of weird. Like, there <laughs> yeah. have never been so many racing games before, and I thought about it, and I was like, huh, you know, you're probably right. Like, you know, I was I was so young back in 1997 when that game came out, but yeah, it kind of you know my first experiences playing video games. There were a lot of racing games in the 32-bit generation and the generation after that, and it kind of set me up that you know, or at least created this false expectation that there would be a lot forever. And the genre has kind of become you know more niche in a way, even though sales are up strangely. I guess because the entire you know. The, the, the entire gaming industry has grown. Uh, it feels like there are less racing games now than ever. So, eh. But I'll, I'll, I'll give it to EA for, for trying. And I mean, somebody, please do that again. That sounds fun. Make shocks, too. <laughs> I mean, we're not even sure if we're getting a Burnout Paradise remaster right now. So yeah, we'll take true. it one step at a time. After Burnout Paradise, the obvious step is, of course, shocks, too. The Let's obvious not get ourselves. <laughs> 
Yeah, getting ahead of ourselves here. But do, do you want to move on to your second title now, then, Adam? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so I was just going to talk about uh, Rally Sport Challenge, which part of the reason I want to talk about Rally Sport Challenge is because I think it's a game that that very often gets passed over, and it's interesting because now, uh, you know, it's developed by Digital Illusions, now Dice, and we know them now for basically being a slave to making Battlefield. And this really does come back to EA a lot, doesn't it? This is all... Oh, yeah. That is a recurring theme. I guess we'll need to title this episode something to do with EA. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... It just keeps coming back to EA. They, they do own everything. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so this was actually before DICE was an EA company, and they made Rally Sport Challenge for Microsoft. It appeared on the Xbox in March of 2002, and then uh, got a PC port later in the year in November. And as long as we're talking about Rally Sport Challenge, I honestly feel like you could... Everything I'm saying about this one, you could say about the second one as well, uh, which came out two years later. Because it, it's basically the same game, but you think about you know an extra two or three years of Xbox development experience for DICE and what that gave them and the ability to, to throw in some more cars and more tracks. I mean, it had a whole new lineup of both, but... You know, both they they both felt like very similar games, and I don't think at the time I even expected there to be a sequel because it just seemed like Rally Sport Challenge, at least was, at least America was just kind of this like random title that just ran. It just showed up. It was Microsoft published, and yet like nobody knew it existed until it came out one day. <laughs> but it's it's actually surprising because it it was a really fun and very diverse uh if you know anything about the game it you know it's obvious it's very diverse uh rally racer arcade rally racer because you have a bunch of different disciplines you have ice racing you have hill climb uh you have rally and you have rally cross and the thing i'll say about rally sport challenge is unlike no offense to code masters but unlike certain dirt games we get all of the <laughs> disciplines receive equal treatment so you have yeah. the same amount of rally tracks as you do hill climb and rally cross and ice racing and unlike, you know, dirt, at least the, the recent dirt games I've played, I mean, maybe at the time I was just more open-minded. I don't know. Maybe I knew what I now, maybe now I know what I liked and back then I didn't, but all those other disciplines were, were equally fun. You know, like I, I had the blast doing the ice racing because it was such a unique thing that, uh, no other racing game really gave you no other rally game. And the cars were also very different from discipline to discipline. The game had a lot of unique cars, like, uh, it had this hill climb R34 Skyline, which I don't know if that was ever a real car, but I'd never seen it before. Uh, <laughs> and there was a, a Toyota Tacoma Pikes Peak car. The sequel had a Celica, which is a car that I had like as a Hot Wheels car as a little kid. So it was a very strange rally game, but one I'm so happy existed. And uh, I think it really, at the time, demonstrated the power of the Xbox. You know, first party games at the time always looked felt and played way better than anything else and this was like this was like the halo of racing games on the xbox i mean i guess there was project gotham as well but like i remember driving across these crazy environments and like the hill climbs and whatnot uh on this icy mountain in the sob 93 in rally sport challenge and it just felt it felt like the next generation in that moment you know it, it validated the xbox's hardware so yeah, you know, it's something I think I gets over. I I think uh, that gets overlooked. I don't know if you had any experience with it, Brendan. I mean, I didn't actually play it myself, but just when you brought up that point about the power of the Xbox, I think it, Rally Sport Challenge is also interesting looking back because the age of racing games being the showcase for 
the graphical ability of consoles seems to have disappeared. So, like, even though I didn't actually have an Xbox myself, Rally Sport Challenge is one of those games I knew because apparently it looked amazing. <laughs> and everyone will have those types of titles. It's like, don't have a console, but you know someone who does, and they talk about a specific game. And a lot of the times, Rally Sport Challenge was that title. Yeah, and it came out not very long, you know, under a year after the Xbox came out. And the first game... Big, big shocker, the first Saint game I ever got from Xbox was Project Gotham Racing. And and I did have a lot of fun with it, but Project Gotham Racing also, you know, I, I had played uh, Metropolis Street Racer on the Dreamcast, so it really wasn't anything new for me. But Rally Sport Challenge, it, it validated the hardware, not just in terms of graphics, but just like the scope of it. You know, you could, you can go off the track very car, very far, but you could go off the track. And if you did, you could get into crazy situations where you'd roll your car and the camera would actually pan out and you, you, you would just see the, the madness and the mayhem you've caused. Like, it just felt like a bigger and more realistic world than any other racing game or rally game at that time, uh, even if the driving itself wasn't necessarily super realistic. And uh, I actually just, just realized, I, I just remember that, like, I think the first experience I ever got playing that game was at the New York Auto Show. I think somebody... Somebody had uh, a like a standy like a basically a kiosk where you could play it, and it was I can't remember what car was on it, but it was it was one brand that was at the auto show that brought that vehicle. Um, so uh, you know, clearly not just from gamers and not just from the press, but even even the auto industry, like somebody realized you know that this game, where we all separately realized. Uh, that this game was pretty special, pretty remarkable from the moment you you started playing it, and yeah, it's a shame it, it didn't catch on more. Yeah, definitely, and it is one of those CDs is now that we can say with utmost certainty will be lost to time. I mean, I don't think we'll see a Rally Sport Challenge sequel, or well, sequel to Rally Sport Challenge Two, I should say. Or was there three games, or was it just the two? There, there were only two. There was and, only and two. And I should right, reiterate, okay. like how weird it was that we even got the second one because it was a similar situation. Except now, like we, sh- it was similar to the begin to the first one in that. I guess we didn't really see it coming, but then like we we knew the first game existed, so it shouldn't have been as surprising, and it was like I was a little bit older at that time, and I remember um, I think that was that was probably like a year, like close to a year after PGR two, um, which I had thought was like really the last of the Xbox racers until we got Forza, you yeah, know, which kind of came out also came out of left field, but had had much more marketing buzz behind it, and like was. You know, once we knew Forza was coming, it was coming. But Rally Sport was always kind of this thing that was like, I wonder why Microsoft's doing this, you know? Because it, I, I mean, I guess maybe in Europe it, it was very successful and it was successful enough globally. Maybe the war in the sequel, yeah. which is good, but, you know, definitely lost the time. Uh, and it's a shame. But if you if you have an Xbox, or a, it's probably backwards compatible, compatible with the 360, I think. So you could probably play it on that as well. At least one of the titles. Um, with that, you want to take the next one? Yep. Um, speaking of series is lost to time, <laughs> um, the next game I'm going to talk about, surprisingly, is Excite Truck for the Nintendo Wii, which is a, a strange choice. But I've thought about this game. <laughs> you, can, you can say yours first, though. Well, I'll, I'll just give a bit of background in case people haven't heard of it, but basically... Um, at the height of motion control hysteria, Excite Truck was released for the Nintendo Wii. It was developed by Monster Games, who you might know from the NASCAR Heat series these days. 
Um, and basically, it was a twisted version of Excite Bike on the NES that they released, where you drove trucks instead on ridiculous environments with crazy jumps and loads of good boosting opportunities. And it, it was it was unique at the time because, as as even as the case now, Nintendo don't really seem to venture into the racing genre that much outside of Mario Kart. So I remember at the time there was a bit of buzz about it because of that. And it also had a nifty custom soundtrack feature where you could use your SD card full of music to listen to whatever you wanted, and that was pretty unique on the Wii. Oh, I should have done that, because that game doesn't have very memorable soundtrack. Oh, God. <laughs> I wish it was like butt rock. Kind of oh. Ridiculous, uh, over-the-top guitar tunes. But yeah, it was pretty interesting at the time, because all you did was put the music on the SD card and crack it in. And because of the time period where it was that awkward half new gen console half gamecube that the wii was um it was really cool seeing a feature like that in the game but i mean to quickly sum up my thoughts on it i just really enjoyed how it had those tilt based controls which aren't going to be very accurate but they managed to develop like a physics engine around that that was just it kept you going it was a very flowing racing game i thought you were always jumping in the air and doing something exciting as the name would suggest funnily enough and um, it was very basic as far as an arcade racer goes. Like there was like a free star system for the races, and there was nothing incredible. Like there's no gimmick that stands out. It was just a, a really solid, ridiculously over the top arcade racer that kind of reminds me of Onrush, which is due this year. Yeah. But um, Excite Truck felt very weightless. I think that's the best way of putting it. Where it might have looked uh, like a racing game but they actually played more like some sort of crazy physics experiment by the developers. Yeah, everything you said, you know, perfectly sums up my feelings on the game. I mean, for me, it was very love-hate, because honestly, it was a game I got for my Wii. Uh, you know, I got, I think I got my Wii for Christmas, and that was one of the games that uh, somebody bought for me, and it, it was a game that I was not excited to play. Like, I... I wanted to love it, and I was sure I would hate it. And then what ended up happening was I don't I don't think I loved it, but I, <laughs> I liked it. I I played through it and I respected it because it wasn't the type of racing game I would play on any other system. You know that that's what it was. It was like, well, this is the closest thing that Nintendo wants to do that involves cars. And I think there wasn't a racing game at launch uh, called GT Pro Series, which has a if you remember that uh, has a really weird history that. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, that was originally a GameCube game in Japan. Also, so like basically the the gist of it is like, you know, what other choice did I have? Uh, but you know what? I got Excite Truck, and yeah, I was surprised. It was a lot of fun, and it was, you know, it didn't. It it definitely felt like it was a generation behind graphically, but like when you're playing it, you know, especially motion controls being at the time we felt they were revolutionary and we thought they were going to be a future, and and it didn't really turn out that way, but um, or at least not the way we we imagined. But Nintendo always had a knack for making the motion controls actually work and making them useful and making you not making you want to play the game that way, you know. So I I had no issue steering with the with the Wiimote. Um, the game was perfectly playable that way, and I had a good time. And even like the waggle to do tricks and whatnot, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it all worked out. The track design, I think, though, is is really what came uh, had me coming back for more because, as you said, you know, it's it is kind of like a crazy physics experiment. You you send you spend so little time on the ground in that game <laughs> for a yeah. game with monster trucks and you know and off road trucks. Like 
you really don't spend much time on the ground at all. You know, you're like, there's, I vaguely remember because there's been songs since I played the game at least 10 years, but like, there's, there's one part where there's one track where you're like basically on like an ice bed or something like that. And there are just these like glacier ramps or something. And, and you just, you fly so high. And then of course you have to like go through these rings and stuff to get all these stars and like, yeah, it's it's nothing if not unique. And when I saw Onrush for the first time, I did actually get that vibe. I got I got the same exact feeling as you. Yeah, and I mean when we're talking about the track design, it's just hit me literally this second that that's probably inspired by Excite Pike on the Nez because I also remember like you got boosts for perfectly landing the car. So if anything, it's very impressive they managed to take such a primitive concept and implement it in a game like Excite Truck. Because, I mean, Excite Bike isn't really a racing game. Like it's one of those NES titles. That yeah, a lot of people it's look like at trials. Fondly, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's basically just the, the very first version of Trials, and Excite Truck kind of had that vibe as well. Because anytime you went up there, perform all the tricks you want, but you need to land perfectly. You didn't get the boost, and it was a really, it was a really cool system, and it made the game genuinely difficult in the more harder tracks. So. I don't think we'll ever see a sequel... Uh, well, sorry, tell a lie. There was a sequel to this game as well. Very much in the yeah. vein of... Uh, Spiritual. The- yeah, sequel, that's it. Yeah. Excite Bots, I believe. Or something mm-hmm. like that. Which now, and- at that point, they got they got rid of the truck, so so you you, know, you killed it for me. So I never played that yeah, game. I was the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, call it um, picky, but like as soon as they got rid of that, suspension of disbelief that you're actually just controlling like big giant f-150 raptors and stuff and you replace it with these weird robots then that's more nintendo for me like that's that's what i expect them to make i think that's why i bought excite truck in the first place there's something very strange about seeing a real car on a cover with nintendo's logo in the bottom corner <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what though I, I remember hearing good things about excite bots i mean nintendo's not going to make a bad game they've, they've never made a straight up bad game uh, except for maybe they're like really early stuff, but um, yeah, like Excite Truck was this weird anomaly in, in kind of like my racing game history. That every now and then I'll go back and think like, yeah, I did play that, and I did play that a lot because it was the only game I had for the Wii. And but it was also unexpected. Like I think I bought it, and I, I didn't expect it to be so ridiculous because I had I had an N64, and I had Excite Bike 64, and Excite Bike 64 was this weird game that like. It, it was uh, now that I look back at it. At the time, I thought that that was the, that was the the benchmark for what I guess a new ex- an Excite branded Nintendo racing game would be. Yeah. But you look back on it, it's actually way more realistic. It's it's probably even more realistic than like any of like the Supercross games that EA came out with or something at the time. Yeah, like, yeah. They're they're very um, Excite Bike sixty four is very careful about the way that you use your uh boost or whatever you can you can overheat the engine essentially and that's a mechanic but also like very picky about how you land your jumps and if you if you screw that up you've lost the whole race and i remember it was really hard but also like really slow so it had like this kind of like weighty realistic feeling to it yeah uh whereas excite truck i mean it's just, it <laughs> it's be just farther chaos. farther from, from that so <laughs> That's what was impressive about the game to me, though, because the car could be flying through the air basically upside down, but as soon as you hit the ground, it would keep that momentum going. You never really felt as if the game was slowing you down, and for a lot of people, that might not be challenging enough, but the challenge comes from pulling off those stunts perfectly, and 
getting all the boost you can. So, I mean, props to Monster Games for managing to create a physics engine that doesn't immediately penalise the player, but instead penalises them in the sense of the scoreboard, which is really what the game is about, setting high scores. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I would not mind if Nintendo re-released this. I know they probably won't, but like as a virtual console type thing, I think if you asked me at any other point in history, I'd say like, yeah, I played everything I need to play of Excite Truck. But now, yeah. the more I think about it, you know, it, it was so weird. It was so different than anything else that's come before since. I don't think it was like, you know, it, it is one of my favorite, you know, arcade racers ever, but you can't you can't fault it for not being unique and maybe Onrush will hit some of those notes. Yeah, that's what we can hope. I mean, it's hard to believe the Excite series actually has four mainline entries. I mean, just for comparison, F-Zero only has six, so oh, <laughs> the Excite series nearly has the same amount of entries as F-Zero, uh, which is pretty mad. Yeah. yeah, Nintendo's real racing franchise. Get at me, Mario Kart. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, before, before I uh, antagonize everyone, uh, I'll just move on to my next entry, which is my last one. Um, that would be Colin McRae 3, uh, released in October of 2002 for the Xbox and PS2 and probably got a port to the PC. Or I don't know, I'm just assuming. I, I didn't have a PC. Um, but multi-platform game, obviously. And yeah, I picked this one because this was my entry with the Colin McRae series. And uh, I, I had a PlayStation 1, but I think it was really hard to find games like at least in the U.S., it always seemed like rally games were, um, there were always less copies that arrived at your local shop, you know? So, like, I, I didn't really know, I was very young, I didn't know about Col about the first two games, um, or even Colin McRae Rally 2, which was very, like, you know, is still considered as one of the best racing games of the time, of that generation, and on the PlayStation 1. I completely missed it. So, when I learned about, uh, the third title I, I was watching, I think it was uh, back in the day, there used to be this uh, this show on television called, it was extended, it was like GameSpot TV, and then it was extended play, and then it was X-Play. Basically, it's where Adam Sessler came from, if you know who Adam Sessler yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was his show, and he was talking about, and this is how, you know, this is how I learned about new games as a kid, and... Uh, yeah, it was amazing. They were just talking about, like, oh, you know, more polygons than I'd ever been in a car before. And I was like, wow, polygons. That's going to make the game perfect. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was great for other reasons. But, yeah, yeah so car models were very, were very pretty. And uh, it, it really, what it comes down to for me is this was a game that really showed me what real rallying was, taught me what that was about. I mean, Sega Rally is a fantastic game, as we've discussed. So is Rally Sport Challenge, which I played before this. But it, you know, they're not real rally essentially. Like even in Rally Sport Challenge, when you're doing the point-to-point -point stages, it's just the 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 road is a mile wide, and you have nothing to worry about on the side of the road, and the handling is very direct, and you don't have to worry about service areas, and you don't have to worry about damage really. And oh and yeah, it's false advertising. <laughs> exactly, and that, but that was rally games yeah. for a very long time. Uh, Colin McRae showed up and changed everything and the third game was my entry point for that so it taught me what rallying was and it also came at like the perfect time in my life where I actually started paying attention to real motorsports and, and real racing for the first time ever in the US we had Speed Network uh, was our, our motorsports channel and they would play uh, WRC and I remember like every every Sunday night they would do a recap of that weekend's WRC 
where they would actually they would take the world feed because that's a, that's the same feed everyone used, but then they would overdub it with uh, just this really hokey cheesy announcer. Yeah. That tried to make rallying sound fun to Americans. But, I mean, it totally won me over. I remember watching a 2003 season religiously, and I think a lot of that had to do with this game because um, I got super excited for it. I learned who Colin McRae was from this game and then went and watched watched him, you know, on TV uh, in the WRC and became a lifelong Colin McRae fan from that point forward. So it was just a perfect perfect marriage of maturity and and just what i want from a game and what i was interested in real world in the real world and it's a great choice yeah i mean um colin mccray rally free in my opinion is one of the, the finest games that codemasters has ever released um it's just so fun i mean even outside of the the glorious polygons we talked about <laughs> there's the graphics um the track design was on point it had a nice car roster the absolute beauty of the menus as well. It sounds oh silly God. saying that, but oh, it's such a slick experience to navigate, and so true. it made you want to play the game. Absolutely, I. One of my like formative gaming memories, and a lot of these revolve around like intro films and like the first time you turn it on. And I'll I'll never forget like just that feeling of starting, uh, Colin McRae three, and just seeing like. All these weird, like very like minimalist graphics. Something I hadn't seen since like Wipeout, and I hadn't, I hadn't played the Wipeout game in years. And but it was inspired by like the same kind of like drive that like you know Studio Liverpool had with that series, and just that clean graphic design. And you you get to that uh, that basically splash screen, and it's like you know does even I don't even think there's like anything that says Colin McRae Rally 3 on the screen. I don't even think it has a title, but it's just like this very hazy just video of of bumper cam footage of someone <laughs> playing the game. And the song what got me though was the song. Like there there are only, you know, probably like two or three songs in this game. But the one the the main menu song is just uh it's it's a total ripoff of Star Guitar by Chemical Brothers, <laughs> which is also a fantastic song, but yeah. it's so good. And the the menu system, it sounds weird. You're right. It sounds weird to to praise that in a in a sim racer, but yeah, totally sets you in the right mood. And it made you feel like, you know, like this was the future. Like this was like the height of of technological, you know, maturity and racing and rallying and the series and video games. It, it really felt like the real deal. Yeah, and here we are in 2018, and flat design is very much the norm. So, <laughs> I mean, that that just shows how good Colin McRae Rally 3 is. Even the menus were ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah, and I should say too, like you know, it's my first time playing a Colin McRae game, and it, I was overcome by how hard it was. You know, not ever before that I have to worry about, you know, kind of skirting the side of a tree in in Finland, you know, for example, or going way too fast sideways and hitting a tree but you know that's that was such a pain such a pained memory for me Colin McRae just oh my god because you you would so often be on the edge of grip in that game and I think when you go back and play it a lot of these uh this generation of Colin McRae and probably the first two titles as well uh very slidey in a way that rally games really aren't anymore but that was kind of like you know back in the day it was like you would exaggerate whatever sensation you got behind the wheel and and it was uh very oversteery and very slidey 
uh, and and you almost always felt like you're on ice. But it it was a fun time, and the track design, as you say, is great. I actually I played Dirt Four uh, when it came out. And I played that for a while, and I liked it. And I was like, eh, the year stage stuff. That uh, the the way that everyone's complaining about the year stage thing and how it's just like you know very bland and, and unremarkable is is a little overblown. I don't know what they're on about. And then. And then I went back and just randomly played Colin McRae. I think it was 2005, which uh, 3, 4, and, and 5 are very similar. They're almost all exactly the same game. But went back and played 05, and I was like, no, actually, wait a second. This is what real track design is. This is, this yeah. is what it's like when you, <laughs> when you actually design every aspect of a stage and can make it unique and can add different, you know, different environmental objects and things might, that actually might even impede your path. Like, you know this is what that feels like for something to have a purpose built environment yeah exactly and that's why um, when I first played Dirt 4 as well I was absolutely fine with your stage I thought it was good like you were saying as well and then I uh, played WRC 7 for review and it was a game I was really dreading because any of the other entries I played were absolutely awful and um, somehow WRC7 is like my favourite rally game in 2017 because the track design and the new kind of um, simplified physics engine was just perfect in my opinion for what they were perfect at trying to get the series back on track I should say (laughs) Um, it's a good game and uh, that's when I realised going back to Dirt 4 I was like I really like the idea of your stage and this is its first iteration just think of how good it could be if Codemasters stick with it. Yeah, and you know, I hope they do. I, I hope they keep doing that because it is an idea that, that really could make rally racing feel as unpredictable as it does in real life. I mean, even even if the challenge is like developing enough segments of track, you know, still not being able to predict the order they might fall in, you know, could still be pretty unpredictable. But yeah, when I went back and I played, uh, you know, one of the earlier Colin McRae games, I really did remember that, you know, even though they did recycle a lot of the stages from year to year, because they, they would basically bring back a lot of the same rallies and maybe add a couple. Uh, I was doing the, the Japanese rally in, I think, 05, and um, it's, it's absolutely mental because, like, you drive on, like, crazy bridges and, like, you're going through these sections of road that are, like, you know, you're on some basically, like, um, marshy wetland type farm area on the side of a Japanese mountain and you just it's all just like you know water that's like three feet deep or something and you're just hydroplaning <laughs> for, for like a good like like quarter of a mile or tenth of a mile like just really unique track design in those games and uh, I, I'm excited to see what Codemasters does next because honestly every time I play a dirt game I want it to be something on the on the level of Colin McRae 3 because that, that really was a revolutionary title for me. So ready to take us to our last one? Yep, um, I'll keep this one as brief as possible given how what time of the podcast we're at now but um, we're going to double back to where we were at the start and have a look at Sega Rally Revo this time so um, this is a title that a lot of people will probably be wondering why it's on this list and I know uh, yourself, Adam, that you don't really get my, my love affair with it, so I'll try and explain what I like about it. Um, I mean, firstly, it was made by Sega Racing Studios, a developer that had a tragic end... Racing Studio, sorry. That had a, a tragic end after bringing out one game, which was, of course, Sega Rally Revo. And this was a studio created by Sega to make new 
generation versions of their previous racing titles, which was a fantastic idea. It was at the time, and I still think it is now. Um, and uh, Sega Rally Revo was basically what they had come up with for getting Sega Rally back on track. And, I mean, at its core, it isn't a fantastic rally game because it's very simplified. Uh, you've got the way the career works. You basically work through events of either three races or five races and you get a star rating, which then allows you to participate in other events. And that is as simple as it can get, but I think that's also kind of harkening back to the arcade days of Sega Rally 1 and 2, where it should be what happens on the track that matters. And I think Sega Rally Revo does a good job of trying to implement a new generation of Sega Rally, because it tries to keep the core fundamentals the same. We talked about how the drifting works in the original Sega Rally, and I think Revo has that as well. It just so happens that it's a bit too slippy. And it has that uh, driving on ice problem that you were talking about with Colin McRae Rally 3. Except turned up to 100 because this is an outright arcade racer. <laughs> yeah, I I actually really enjoyed Sega Rally Revo's physics. Um, might be my favorite aspect of the game. That and it was just a very pretty and, and just very bright and you know quintessentially Sega feel in terms of the graphics and, and how bright and blue the skies were but um yeah the physics were interesting because it, to this day i feel like it still doesn't feel like any other arcade racer or any other racing game i've played since it definitely benefited a lot too from that um the the mechanic uh where the the terrain deformation was the word that i was trying to remember uh yeah but i mean the ground you you would completely and so would the air racers completely uproot the surface of the road you were driving on uh, repeatedly doing the same laps over and over again. Your car would get absolutely filthy. Um, but it, it did... I, to me, though, there wasn't a gimmick. Like, it did change the way the cars handled. It changed the way I would attack the tracks. Um, and although I... Although I would say that, like, my biggest issue with that game probably is the track design. Because cause I, I just... I just remember a lot of it was... was well, I guess that's the problem. Is it was just forgettable to me. Like I struggle to remember some tracks outside of the Alpine locations because those were good. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, it was just finding finding ways to enjoy that physics engine because I did actually like it. And it doesn't, you know, I I am I guess one of those purists on some level where I can say like it came from a different studio, and maybe that was part of my my issue with it was it was. It was a new studio trying to recapture what made the originals great. And although I don't doubt that they were fans, it didn't so much feel like a Sega Rally game to me. That said, uh, you know, if I, I wish Sega Racing Studio was around today. You know, I would I would give up anything because those guys clearly knew racing games and they made a good one. I don't I don't love Revo as much as you do, but I still I still played it to death. And it was still a solid arcade racer in the vein that we don't get anymore. And I mean, now, you know, Sega doesn't have them, so they basically had to, to cobble together Daytona Championship USA with <laughs> yeah. whoever they have. And I, I think that game does not look very good. But yeah, but Revo, Revo should, should get a little more respect than it does. Agreed. I think at the time as well, also suffered because it came out in a time period where everybody expected every rally game to have damage and like that kind of realism and a lot of people expected it to have that which was pretty silly in retrospect because it was a Sega Rally game I mean if you go into the Metacritic ratings for example there's so many people who penalise it for not having that element 
And that that's just totally against what Sega Rally is, in my opinion. That's like complaining Daytona USA doesn't have huge realistic crashes rather than the cool flip you yeah. can pull off. You rather than like a, a damaged model and a not damaged model. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a pre-rendered cutscene for all crashes. But yeah, um, yeah I, I feel like Revo has a special place in my heart because it was a sign of what could have happened with Sega and Sega Racing Studio and it was a nice starting point for that and I really enjoyed the physics engine as well and the problem is I would love to fight you on the track design aspect but the Alpine tracks are still like the only ones I properly enjoy in the full game because not because they were the best of a bad bunch but purely because I think the Alpine tracks in that game were designed really well and it's not a surprise then that that's what most people remember and when it comes to the soundtrack very hit and miss again but funnily enough Alpine seems to have the best selection of music as well <laughs> yeah you know it just it felt like it could have even though it had the same very colorful aesthetic I felt like anyone could have developed that game I, th- I think that's that's my issue with it yeah. even though it was good and not anyone as in Sega Racing Studio wasn't talented. Like, it was definitely the product of a studio who knew what they were doing, but it didn't feel like a Sega racing game. And I I think that's kind of my issue, is I, I didn't really see what was tying it back to that lineage. I mean, the menu system... And, and I also care a lot about aesthetics and whatnot and everything that you're not doing when you're in the car. So, like, the menus and the soundtrack absolutely, I think, uh, were killed it for Uninspired. me. Uninspired. Yeah, in uninspired. But in spite of that, um, no, it was a good game. Uh, the gameplay was fantastic. It's just very smooth. The 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 handling was great. Uh, those alpine tracks are great, and it's cool that uh, if you if you go through the game, um, you get a lakeside course, and I believe online arcade, right? Uh, the re-released version that was slimmed down, that was more or less support of Sega Rally Three. Yep. Uh, that had the original desert course, which was fantastic as well. Hyper conditioned reflex as well was the, the soundtrack for that one, which I believe was from Sega Rally two thousand and six. Two thousand six. Which yeah. if we if we have a podcast one day about that game, I will defend that game because I feel like that <laughs> that's what Sega Rally Revo is to you, is is what two thousand six is to me. Even though I struggle to play through it because I don't understand Japanese. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting, and you also know a lot about, because I've had very little experience with Sega Rally 3, and I I know we're getting long in the podcast, but I, I feel like it's worth discussing the differences between 3 and, and Revo. Yeah, so I, I'm very uh, lucky to have played quite a chunk of Sega Rally 3. Um, I did get online arcade for the PlayStation 3 when that was released as well, but the actual cabinet I have played quite a lot, and... It's surprising the differences there because Sega Rally 3 actually had the WRC license. So you had cars like the Citroen C4 and the Ford Focus RS and even the um, Suzuki SX4. And that was totally missing from Revo. And I always found that kind of strange because they were developed in tandem. So I'm not sure why the license they tried to get didn't apply to both games. Um, Track-wise, the game also had... um, it was very weird adapted versions of the the originals from Revo. Like, for instance, in one of the Alpine tracks, it's mostly the same, but you start at a different point in the track, and then there's like a corner that's usually cordoned off that you can actually go, that you actually turn into. And then from there, you get a whole new section of the track. So I used to always wonder when I was younger playing Revo if that meant at some point we'd get DLC that allowed those tracks as well, but 
it never really came to fruition. But, I mean, the the real thing we want to discuss here is the physics engine for Sega Rally 3, and ironically, I think 3 gets it worse than Revo in terms of being a Sega Rally title, because it it, it oversimplifies the Revo engine, which was already a kind of a new take in Sega Rally. So it means that Sega Rally 3 doesn't really feel like the other two titles at all. And it isn't bad, it's just really basic. Like, do you know, um, like... Not I'm not going to compare it directly to these games, but the, the cruising games and the arcades you get now, yeah. like the really yeah. poor ones, it felt like a, somebody who's played those tried to uh, reverse engineer it back to Sega Rally. So like the, the drifting mechanics were basically gone outside of like a phys- like the actual visual representation, and it just it's really strange. It felt very on rails and. They removed a lot of the skill element to it, and it's one of those ones, if you get the chance to play it after playing Revo, you'll notice the difference. But if you haven't played Revo by comparison, you probably wouldn't realise how much of a difference there really is. Yeah, so I played Sega Rally 3 once, exactly once, and it was I didn't really notice that much weird about it, because I think it was like, it's probably like a year or two, it was probably like two years or something after Sega Rally Revo, after I played through that. So I've been long enough. And I also didn't have a wheel that I played Revo with, so I didn't have that same kind of uh, you know tactile experience. But is so so does online arcade and Revo handle similarly? No, because uh, I played so, that. Oh, so you've played online arcade, yeah? I've so yeah. So that's the thing. I only played Sega Rally Three once, but I bought online arcade. And but I, again, online arcade came out a pretty long way after Revo. So uh, I think by that time I had sold Revo or something. So yeah. I. I had no way to compare them, really. Well, online arcade is pretty much a direct uh, copy-paste onto the, the PlayStation from Sega Rally 3. So, wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. Because I would think that they would have just basically, if they developed these games in tandem, and from, I mean, at least from the way these games look, Sega Rally Revo is really just, in terms of the engine and everything, it's three running at 30 frames per second, you know, because of the less powerful yeah. hardware. I would think that they would be able to be they will be able to take those tracks and just essentially drop them into the Revo engine, but, I mean, this seems like a completely... It's just, just an unnecessary reimagining of what those games did. Yeah, it was very weird. I'm not sure why they didn't just put Revo into the arcades, because even uh, when they released Online Arcade, you'll remember the WRC license was gone by that point as well, so... Oh, yeah, I was really disappointed about that, because that, that was the main reason I wanted it. <laughs> it was it was they adapted like the worst cars or the most basic cars from Revo into online arcades and um they even had some of the fictional cars in there like the Andorra Racer for example online arcades oh, yeah yeah the thing was so ugly oh terrible <laughs> but yeah it's it's a weird story um i think the story of Sega Rally 3 is a bit more interesting than Revo because there was obviously some sort of force at play that made it made the game turn out to be so haphazard, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I just uh, completely didn't notice it, because I had such a little experience with that game, and, and it had been a while since I played Revo, but yeah, the story of Sega Racing Studio, r- regardless of, of any uh, fault of, of Sega Rally 3, you know, it is it is a shame we didn't get to see more from them, because it really is is a brilliant idea, you know, to have a studio devoted to reimagining Sega's uh, greatest work, and I'll never forget that I. It was uh, the fall of 2007, I think, and I come home with both PGR4 and Sega Rally Revo, and I I was going back and forth between the two, and I think that was also 
it was September and it was like within days of Colin McRae dying. So like the, all of these weird memories just kind of tied in my head. Um, you know, the, that really tragic one and then these games, but it was, it was an interesting time. And yeah. And then, and then say racing studio was no more. So a tragic tale. <laughs> yeah. Life goes on, I guess. But anyway, well, that's probably not a nice thing to say. Colin McRae. I'm sorry. Anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> um, before, before we offend anyone. Um, yeah, so that that is uh, those are our favorite rally games, right? That pretty much said everything we can say about Revo. Yeah, that happy to end it there. It's a, a good way. You taking a pop at Colin McRae and everything, shocking. <laughs> Look, I love Colin McRae. I rooted for that man. Oh, oh my god! But anyway, uh, yeah. So this this is a good place to end it. And uh, thanks for listening to our first podcast. And. Uh, we're going to try and do these every two weeks and uh, see where it goes from there and have some more news and and more uh, offbeat uh, topics to share. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, everyone.